Jackie Robinson Day, Marlins fans. A full slate of baseball games today, and I'm very excited to see how the league plans to honor Jackie Robinson on this day, and especially with everything going on. I'm expecting some very powerful moments on this day and the rest of the season. We saw a powerful moment yesterday when the Marlins and the Mets both took the field. Right around the time first pitch was supposed to be, Lewis Brinson stood up to the plate, and then... Both teams took their hats off, had a 42-second moment of silence in honor of Jackie Robinson, then left the field to not play the game and protest yesterday's game that was supposed to be between the Marlins and the Mets. Really powerful moment. You saw the emotion from Dominic Smith. You saw the emotion from the Marlins players, and you could see the mutual understanding between the two teams who acknowledge each other on their walk off the field. The Marlins will be making that game up at some point, whether it's when they go back to New York to play the Yankees or sometime where they can find it to make it up against the Mets. Still, the Marlins are going to return to baseball today and actually on national television on Fox Sports 1 against the Rays, and it's going to be a tough series. There's no way around that. The Rays are red hot. The Marlins look good. They're slowly starting to get their reinforcements, but they still are missing quite a few pieces to feel confident going into a series against one of the best teams in baseball. Going to talk about that series, preview what we can expect in this three-game set, and then also you're going to hear the second half of the interview with Marlins second-round pick Kyle Nicholas. Hope you enjoyed part one. If you missed that, look back at the previous episode to listen to the first 15 minutes of Kyle Nicholas. This will be the final 15 minutes of the interview. As for this series, the Marlins... Come in, still, just continuing to, every time you think they're starting to slip up, they climb right back up, and they remind you that this is just a crazy year, because I really was expecting them to cool off, and they did cool off, but then they come back and sweep the doubleheader against the Mets, even before that, battling the games that they lost, losing a start against DeGrom, where you eventually tie it and just blow it in the end there with Nick Vincent on the mound, and nothing against Vincent. He's probably been one of the more consistent arms in the bullpen. But you got to think, if the Marlins had all of their pieces, especially in the bullpen with Yimmy Garcia and some of the other guys that would be in those more high-leverage situations, you can only imagine how many more games the Marlins may have won. At the same time, this has been a crazy, fluky type of thing where I almost think the chaos has worked in the Marlins' favor. And it's just been a little bit crazy. So it's hard to play the what-if game here because I feel like the team has really embraced the against-all-odds narrative that was already a thing probably if they were winning ball games without the COVID situation. But coming back from the COVID situation, I think they just really grabbed onto this shock-the-world type of narrative. And it's been able to kind of light a fire under them. It reminds me of 2003 where... The Marlins in 2003 just played fearlessly. They were just having fun and ended up winning ballgames in the process. You're seeing a lot of either, up until this point, for the most part, it was a lot of either rookies making their debut, just having fun, trying to really make the most of it, or veterans that may have been on their way out of the game trying to have one last stand. 
those are things that you just don't see. And you had that desperation from the Marlins team that you wouldn't see early in a season. Really, I don't know if they would have done this in a normal season. Who knows? There's no way to to really be able to prove it one way or another. Nonetheless, the Marlins are doing well, and they're going to be getting their better players back. And there's no bad way to spin that, especially considering the fact that this bullpen can only hold it together for so much longer before it starts blowing games, and it's really going to hurt the Marlins. You know, blowing games from your bullpen has been something that we've seen take the wind out of the sails for the Marlins in the past. This would be probably one of the more understandable situations where the bullpen would be a liability with a shortened season. Every game matters. The starting pitching has been solid. The Marlins have been able to score runs when they need to, but the bullpen, you just have a good chance that at least one of those guys that is kind of a flyer is going to struggle from time to time. And you can't really afford to blow leads in a season like this. So it's very, very, very important that the Marlins are able to get these pitchers back as soon as possible. The hitters are icing on the cake, but I think that's less of an issue and almost creates more of a logjam because when you look at the lineup right now, Corey Dickerson's going to be in the lineup every single day in the outfield. Magnara Sierra just went to the IL, so that opens up a spot. Matt Joyce, with a right-hander on the mound, should be in the lineup every single day until he proves that he shouldn't be because he's only proven that he should be over the course of the last 70-something games. He's ranks among the top players in baseball and on base percentage, and Joyce has continued to hit well this year. If there's a lefty on the mound, there's no chance Matt Joyce should be in the lineup. He has really some of the most extreme splits I've ever seen. That's the only thing that kept him from really being a really good regular. He didn't change anything over the last few years of his career. It's not like he's some different player when he hit 35. The only difference was he's been protected by not having to face lefties and only facing righties. He's always been this good against righties. But he was so bad against lefties that it just destroyed his overall numbers. He's a career 180 hitter against lefties. Now, he's only facing right-handed pitchers who he probably hits right around 300 his entire career against when he really gets a chance to get going. Now, He's being really only put in positions for success, and you're able to get the most out of Matt Joyce. That's a guy that's got to be in there against right-handers, whether it's in the DH spot or in the outfield, but he's actually been pretty impressive in the outfield too. So I've been very pleasantly surprised with Joyce. Keep him in the lineup for now, even over Cooper or Harold Ramirez when there's a right-hander on the mound, 100%. And that's the weird thing about it is – especially with the rust that both of them are going to have and with the way Joyce has been swinging, I really think that you're going to have to find time and a place to get Cooper in the lineup, especially because I want to see more from Jesus Sanchez too. And that's the thing. I really do want to see more from him. You don't want to burn another option by sending him down. And Cooper may be a little bit more than Harold. Cooper is more of a contributor, more of a consistent all-around hitter. Harold had a good year last year, but still, barely over 300 on the on-base percentage, hardly walks, liability in the outfield. I'd be fine with sending Harold out of town, and you got to start thinking about maybe what could a package of Harold Ramirez, Eliezer Hernandez, and one mid-level prospect, what could that get you? I think that could maybe get you something pretty solid. It's just what is out there, and what teams are going to be interested in two Rule 5 draft picks that are really overachieving 
and a mid-level prospect. If you look at it that way, then maybe it won't net you as much. But if you look at it like a guy that's pitching to a three-something ERA and a hitter that's only 25, one of the fastest players in the game, and hit for some power last year, then maybe you can find the right match. It really depends on what team you're talking to and what they think of those two guys. But it's worth dangling both of them, I think, because when you look at the future, Eliezer Hernandez is not going to be part of the rotation. There's just too much pitching that's going to be coming through, especially if Trevor Rogers continues to look solid as he did in the first start. And Braxton Garrett's going to be not far behind. Then you have Edward Cabrera, Pablo Lopez, Sandy Alcantara. Eliezer Hernandez just really doesn't fit into the mix. And he's not really a back-end bullpen arm, so you're not going to really get much out of him as a bullpen guy. He's more of a swingman, maybe turning into a legitimate back-end starter. I think that might be the case. I do think he's a legitimate back-end starter. Then you should be able to get something for him. He's still only 25 years old. He's cheap. He's controllable. Should be a piece that you can get something for. Harold is more of the mixed bag. Still think that Harold, with Eliezer and a prospect, could be something that the Marlins could end up getting something for, and it kind of lessens up the pressure and logjam that we have right now in the Marlins roster. I'll be doing a full episode closer to the deadline about all of the potential trades and what I think a package like that could get and what other packages the Marlins could put together. As for the Rays, they've been really just buoyed by their bullpen. Their offense has not been as good as many would have expected. Some of their better hitters have been underachieving. Austin Meadows has been banged up, not been as good as he was last year. Even uh, Jose Martinez was supposed to be one of their most consistent hitters. He has not been that great. Brandon Lowe has been picking up the load for everybody and really has been just an offensive unit. Hitting 296, 10 home runs, was one of my favorite prospects in that system and one of the guys that I was hoping the Marlins would be able to get when they made that trade. I'm very happy with Jesus Sanchez, higher ceiling type of guy, maybe, unless Lowe is continuing to do what he's doing now. I was hoping that Lowe would be one of the guys the Marlins got, got Jesus Sanchez instead. Lowe was a less highly regarded prospect, almost like a Jake Cronenworth in the way that he's always hit, but because he didn't have any ridiculous tool, nobody was on him. And clearly, he's just one of those guys that just hits. Sometimes that's all you need. You just need a guy that can hit. That's the name of the game, right? Just because he doesn't have one tool that's off the charts doesn't mean he's not going to be a productive baseball player, and Lowe is showing that, and he's a very well-rounded ball player, so look out for him. Nick Anderson, old friend Nick Anderson, is on the IL right now, could make a return Sunday. He's probably one of the best closers in the game now, which is pretty crazy. Still, I don't think you regret that trade. The Marlins traded volatility. Nick Anderson could easily regress in the next couple years. Don't wish that on him, but I would cash in on a bullpen arm for a top prospect any day of the week. And I still am very high on Jesus Sanchez. So I still like the deal should be good for both sides. And I still want to root for Nick Anderson, but I don't want to root for him to come back in this series because the Marlins would be very fortunate to avoid him. He's been very good when he was healthy this season. Nine and two thirds innings has not given up a run, struck out 15. She looks like the guy that showed up to Tampa Bay and was lights out in the second half of last year. The rest of the bullpen is just insane. It's really by far the best bullpen in baseball. They have six relievers with a sub-3 ERA. Diego Castillo might be one of my favorite relievers in baseball. You're going to have to get to the starting pitching if you're going to want to win some games in this series. But the Marlins are going to have a couple tough matchups. Three lefties in this series. So speaking of Matt Joyce... Might not be the time to see Matt Joyce in this series. Hopefully Garrett Cooper comes back so that the Marlins can throw him into some of these lineups where 
you don't want to have Matt Joyce facing three lefties because it's going to be Sixto versus Yarbrough today, who's another lefty, then Fleming versus Mejia, Fleming is another lefty, and then you got Snell versus Lopez, Snell's another lefty. So that's what the probables are for this series. Three left-handed starters. Joyce will be great off the bench against a tough Rays bullpen. That's where his value will be in this series. The Marlins are going to need to find a right-handed hitter. Or maybe they put Jesus Sanchez out there. He's still probably more comfortable against left-handed pitching than Joyce is, even though Joyce is a veteran and it's been swinging the bat really well. Sanchez, I really want to see get more at-bats in. That's why, regardless of the lefty-lefty matchup, he's been more than fine against lefties in his entire minor league career. That's never been really an issue for him. So I really would like to see him get some at-bats before the other guys come back because I think the Marlins really need to figure out what they're doing. And I want to see Jesus Sanchez in the lineup for the rest of the year. I want to see the Marlins figure out a way to do that. I will have to do an entire episode dedicated to how I think the Marlins can do that. But overall... That is something I would really like to see. Also, I would like to see Lewin Diaz in this series at first base. I know he's another left-handed bat, but I want to see him make some strides against left-handed pitching because he's not going to be a platoon guy. You want him to be an everyday guy. And the value that he brings to first base, he's a much better defensive first baseman than Jesus Aguilar. I think that goes without being said. But he's a potential gold glove type of guy at first base while Aguilar is below average defender. I'd rather keep Aguilar in the DH spot. So a lot of moving parts. We'll see how the Marlins approach this series. But I will say this. They're coming in with a little bit of momentum. And they could have a lot of momentum if some of these players come back for the series. It would be a win for me, I think, if the Marlins can just take one of the three. Just with how hot the Rays have been. If you can stay afloat, this is probably the last series before all of the troops come back. Just stay afloat. At least get one. Of course, you want to get two out of three. But getting swept in this shortened season is a kiss of death. Two out of three is way less bad. I don't know what it is about it. It's just going one and two versus 0 and three just makes a huge difference. So we'll see if the Marlins can at least get one. Maybe they can steal two and take the series. Pablo Lopez for the rubber match potentially in game three would be huge. But I'd say the series very much if you want to take two out of three rides on the back of Sixto Sanchez and how he throws today. As you know, I did an episode earlier about what he needs to do to be effective and continue to make strides. And he is probably at a little bit of a risk to give up some home runs against this Rays lineup that features some big boppers that hit from the right side. They don't hit for good average in Renfro and Zanino and a few others, but they can run into some baseballs if you leave a fastball up. So I'm going to get into the interview part two now with Kyle Nicholas. I hope you enjoy it. But first, you know, I got to tell you about rockauto.com and how it's the easiest place to find whatever parts you need for your car. RockAuto.com is a family-owned business that's been serving auto part customers for over 20 years. Why go to a chain store or go to a car dealership and pay 20, 30, 50, 100% more for the same part when you can just go to RockAuto.com, use their easy-to-navigate website, find the exact part for your car that you need, and have it shipped straight to your door. You don't have to deal with contact with any people right now, which for obvious reasons, is beneficial. You don't have to deal with any of the BS of different pricing points for the do-it-yourselfers versus the professional mechanics. You save a lot of headache, and all you got to do is just go to rockauto.com and let them know that Locked On sent you in the How Did You Hear About Us section. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need, rockauto.com. And here's Kyle Nicholas. You sparked a thought in my mind because it's something that I think we would all be guilty of if we were in your position, 
if anybody listening hasn't been to a game in the Cape Cod League, one, I would highly recommend you go. It's really cool. But two, at certain points of the year, you've got tons of scouts there with radar guns just going. They're like robots. They go up, you throw the pitch, they go down, they write something and go right back up again. And you're known as the guy that throws really hard, right? Everyone's there to see how hard Kyle Nicholas is going to throw. But you're more than just a thrower. You talk about it. you got the good off-speed pitch. But I think anybody in that position would have a little bit of pressure of like, oh, man, I got to light up this radar gun. Did you have some of that pressure sometimes with all of those guns and you being the here's a six foot five flamethrower? Do you feel like you had to reach back for a little bit extra sometimes because you're talking about not needing to blow by him and locating was actually more effective? Was that ever an effect on you with all those radar guns and all the attention on how hard Kyle Nicholas can throw? Yeah, I think it was um, sort of earlier in my career, maybe like high school. and um, But I think by this past summer, I was kind of used to it and, and not really focusing on, you know, the scouts behind and, and just focusing on one pitch at a time. Um, so, I mean, I guess a little, because I'd never seen the, that many scouts <laughs> in the stands before, but uh, um, I think after the first, first game or two, I was, I was all right what would have been your, your final season, your junior year, we talk about the 17 strikeouts. With the team, the way things were going, you know, you guys had struggled in that last game. You actually picked up the loss in that game against Sacred Heart, which was crazy. And then it's just over like that. Did you really have any, any time to prepare for the season to be over? Like, did you know that there was a chance that would be the last game heading in because of the way everything was unfolding? Or did you play the game, walk off the field, and then – you found out later that that was the last game you were ever going to play in a college uniform. Yeah, we, I really didn't um, expect it going into that game. Cause that was on a, uh, that was on a Friday night. And um, actually the game before we played Yale. And then I think it was on that Sunday when we were heading home uh, back to Muncie that it came out that the Ivy league like canceled their season. Um, so we were like, wow, we just played Yale and, and their season's over. So then it, it, it kind of got in our minds like, wow, we could like be over in the next week. And uh, I think we played, I think we played a midweek on a Tuesday. Um, and then the next day our, we called a meeting and, um, you know, kind of going into that, there was some other stuff that came out on Twitter about, um, I think the uh, Patriot League had canceled their season. Um, so I was kind of expecting it going in, but I mean, you can't really, um, you know, be ready for that. And, you know, once our coach said um, we're not going to play the rest of the year, it was it was really tough with the whole team there and um, just kind of realizing, like, wow, I'm not, never going to pitch um, on this field again. So so it was tough for sure. Yeah, you know, and, and that was something we talked about with, with Zach McCambly as well. And he was off to a really good start in yeah. this season as well and just you know, would have been great to see what he could do. But he said the same thing, you know, it was just first people you think about are those seniors that you know don't, don't get the chance to maybe play pro ball or, or be in the position that you guys are in. But it, even just to selfishly, you guys, it's got to be tough because you really were putting up great numbers, both of you. And you just wonder how, how great it would have been if you could scale out the whole season. Same thing with Nick Gonzalez. You know, he had something crazy like 12 home runs through the first 16 games. And you just wonder what, what the hell he could have done if he had a full season. It's yeah. just, you know, so many questions. But the positive side, right, is I guess you don't have to throw that many innings 
And now, now you're pretty fresh, I would assume, right? And you're, you're able to throw bullpens and you're only throwing 23 innings this spring now. You should be more fresh heading into your first pro season. As a silver lining, do, do you feel better? Do you think you're going to feel more energized than you ever have before, being that you didn't have to really throw in the spring that much? The summer is already over and you've been just training in the meantime. And then hopefully if we have a season coming up, you think you'll be more fresh than you've been before heading into a spring? Um, yeah, I, I think, I think that, uh, I'll definitely be more fresh and definitely be more ready, more pumped and just chomping at the bit just to get out there. And just cause it's been so long, you know, we played, we played four games and then it was over and we had all that time from the summer to wait until the spring season. And then, um, only got to play four games and now it's been forever since I've been able to pitch in a real game. So. Um, I'm definitely going to be ready whenever that time comes to to put on a, a minor league uniform and um, just go out there and, you know, just compete. So something I wanted to talk about is is your arsenal, right, the pitches that you throw. We talk about the fastball, which is you know, one, of, one of the better fastballs in the draft this year, if not the best fastball in the draft, and just it, it takes off. I talked about spin rates, spin efficiency with Zach McCambly because he's very similar where it, his fastball looks even harder than it is because of that perceived rising with the high spin rates and all of that crazy stuff. But when I was reading the baseball America article, your coach actually said that Rich Maloney, the ball state coach says that your, your curveball is actually better than your slider. I, I had no idea that you, you even had a pitch better than your slider as an out pitch. Cause your slider is pretty darn good. It's already probably graded out as above average in the major leagues as is with a potential to be a plus pitch. What is the curveball like? And are those two very separate pitches? Cause I know a lot of pitchers tend to have the two blend together. I didn't even know. Can you elaborate a little bit on, on coach Maloney's uh, assessment of your curveball? Yeah. Um, so my curveball, that's kind of what I came into college throwing. Um, and then I kind of picked up a slider and I really liked it because, you know, I, I threw it hard and, um, you know, it had late, sharp bite to it. Um, so then what you what you said before, they, they kind of started blending blending together um, when I was throwing both. And so this past – I threw it in the – I threw it in the, the cape. Um, and they might have looked like the same pitch. I don't know. <laughs> but uh, this past spring, um, starting in the fall, we kind of – just shelved the curveball for a little just to kind of focus on the slider um, because, as you said, you know, it was, it was getting really good and um, getting good feedback on it from, from scouts and stuff. So um, I really honed in on that and, and kind of tried to perfect that as, as best I could. Um, so I didn't really throw the curveball at all this, this spring. But, uh, yeah, I, I definitely say I'm really confident in that pitch. Um, for strikeouts and, and for locating it. So, um, but whenever the season ended, I, I started picking it back up again. And, um, but the main focus with it is, is having it be distinctly different from my slider and, and have more of the 12, six movement that I, that I like to see on it. Um, rather than kind of the, the sweeping that looks more like my slider. So, um, yeah, I'm definitely confident in both and, um, I'm just excited to, to throw them to hitters. And other than, than those two pitches and working on having distinct breaks between the two, during quarantine and you know, this whole off time, has there been anything else you've been working on on the mound? 
Is there a changeup that you might be adding to the mix? Or is that three-pitch mix going to be kind of what you move with going forward? What's been the focus in bullpen sessions when you've been off now? You know, the main thing for me is uh, is fastball command, commanding both sides of the plate. So that's that's the main focus in bullpens for me. Um, obviously, with all this this off time and um, you know, I've been been working on a changeup every day, and uh, you know, I have been I've been mixing messing with different grips ever since um, probably for a whole year now. And, um, you know, I got one in the summer that I didn't throw very much, but I, I felt comfortable with it. And um, I picked that back up now that the, the college season ended. So, um, you know, just work on that, working on that every day, getting the, the right movement and just getting a good feel for it. Um, you know, I'm feeling pretty good about it going into uh, hopefully a, a fall instructional league or, uh, spring training or whenever that time comes. So also, as I'd mentioned, Zach McCambly a couple times, you played summer ball with him, with the same team, with the two Ketteliers, and you both go off the board after each other to the same team with the Marlins. How has that been now? You, The team, as I'd seen from, you know, calling games and everything, it seems like a really tight-knit team as is, and it helps when you go and win the whole thing. But the the team itself just seemed like a bunch of good guys. And I can vouch anyone that listen, you know, should be a big fan of Zach McCampbell. He was a great interview too. Has he been just really nice to have by your side as someone to go through this? We talk about Dylan Dingler going through college and everything. Now, you know, going into professional major league baseball, you have someone that you're comfortable with and, you know, going through the same thing. How's that been? And how often do you guys still throw things off each other and, and talk about the future? Cause I'm sure you guys are going to be on the, same minor league team once once it all gets going again yeah I mean it's been awesome I'm I'm super pumped for Zach and I'm really excited to you know get to working with him again because he as you said you know he's a great pitcher and um you know we're we're kind of similar in in the spin rates and uh you know the fastball and the breaking stuff so um you know I'm really pumped and yeah we have been you know texting back and forth and and you know just seeing what's going on and um but it's it's been really awesome uh to to have him here and um just ready to, to get working with him it was clear that the marlins had a, a plan when they went into this draft and it was one to get pitchers but two athletic pitchers that either have a really good fastball one really good breaking ball or both and from max meyer you know with the first pick that the marlins made to, to you, to Zach McCambly, it was similar, like you said, the, the fastball with the spin rates and the breaking ball. Was that something that you had known maybe going in? Not exactly that that would be the Marlins' plan, but did you have an idea of what teams were maybe a little bit more likely to take you based on what they like? Because every team has their preference, and clearly the Marlins are very high on spin rates and, and a good breaking ball and a firm fastball. That clearly was the Marlins' MO here. Did you have any idea where you were going to go? Did you have a best guess at least? Or did this kind of take you by surprise? Because Zach said he had no clue that he was going to go to the Marlins and it actually surprised him. Yeah, I really didn't know either. Um, I guess I I should have known because they were like my – I guess not should have known, but they should have been one that I might have been expecting because they were the last uh, like Zoom meeting I had uh, like the pre-draft meeting. Um, 
And I, apparently they did that on purpose. I, I was told after that by one of the, by the scout. Uh, but, you know, I, I really didn't know until, until right before the pick. And, um, I mean, you, you can't really predict what's going to happen. And so I wasn't trying to, um, you know, see what teams like, oh, like, oh, they're picking in five picks. I wonder if they'll take me. So um, I was kind of just going with the flow and just letting whatever happened happen. And, um, you know, I'm really excited that the Marlins took me and all the other pitchers I'm ready to, to get to work with and, and see, um, you know, how, how good they are and, um, bounce some ideas off them and, and just ready to, just ready to compete. The, one of the few you know, final things here I wanted to ask you too, is the, the Marlins are a lot different than, you know, the Marlins of a few years ago that you kind of have a stigma with them, right? This team has been very focused on, on building up from, from the ground up and yeah. the farm system is you know, known as one of the best in baseball now and they put a lot of attention, energy, and resources into player development. Is that something that you've noticed right away? And, and what's that been like now adjusting from, even though you, you, as you mentioned, college, you had really good coaches and a great opportunity at a place that pumps out a lot of good professional arms. But what has been the adjustment now in a positive way? What has been the great thing about getting to professional baseball and to an organization that puts so much focus on player development? Yeah, I mean, it's it's definitely tough to, you know, feel feel all that focus, you know, just because we're not there and um, we're not we're not seeing people every day. Um, but it's very evident uh, for me just because within within the first like week of of me being drafted, you know, the the court pitching coordinators, strength and conditioning guys, um, you know, they had throwing program, lifting program out to me. Um, just just ready uh for me to get better and and they want to be a part of that so um I'm, i was very pleased with with that and um you know i've kept in contact with all of them so um it's it's been really good so far and I, i'm just ready to get down there and uh, just be with them every day have you got a chance to watch what the uh what the marlins are doing at a big league level right now yeah yeah a little bit i, I can't really watch them on tv because uh we don't have, we don't have the the Florida channels, but you know I've been I've been following them on, on the ESPN app and uh, on Twitter too, so it's been good. Yeah, I was gonna ask what you thought if you got a chance to see Sixto Sanchez because talking about some really good stuff with a fastball and a slider, a fastball at triple digits, a slider is is a nasty pitch. Did you get a chance to see any of Sixto? Yeah, it's just I just saw uh, some of the videos um, on ESPN and. And on the Twitter, and you know he looks nasty. <laughs> so I'm, I'm excited to to see him in person, and you know, um, just watch him work too. And the last guy I'll ask you about too, because it seems like it's not too far away from from Ball State in Minnesota. Did you get a chance ever to see Max Meyer pitch? And have you had any contact with him? Another pitcher with a really good fastball and a really darn good slider. Um, have you had any contact with him? And have have you seen him throw in the past? Uh, no, I I haven't talked to him yet, and uh, I never did get to see him pitch. Um, but but I talked to Dylan about him, and um, obviously they've faced each other. He said he's he's pretty good, and you know that slider is good. So. Uh, you know, I'm I'm excited to to get to meet him and um, 
you know, maybe get some tips on that slider. <laughs> a lot of good pitching coming through the Marlins organization, yourself included. So a lot to be excited about. And I'm, I'm very excited to finally see you throw now with a Marlins jersey on. That's going to be a really good rotation that they'll have going with you, Zach, and maybe Max Meyer. And we'll see who else gets added into the mix there. But thank you for coming on. It was a lot of fun being able to talk to you and, and hear this story in the background of everything. And just so some Marlins fans know, where can they keep up with you on Twitter or Instagram or, or wherever? Yeah, so my Twitter is uh, at KyleNicholas19. Um, and then my Instagram is KyleNicholas underscore. So go give me a follow. There's no H in Nicholas. It's N-I-C-O-L-A-S. No H. Yeah, People I, put up all the time. So uh, <laughs> yeah, hopefully Marlins fans are are all over that now because I, I know they're very excited about all of uh, all the arms that they have coming through and very excited to watch you pitch. Been getting a lot of questions about you know what what they can expect. So I know fans are going to be very excited to hear you know this whole story from you and and what they can expect from you moving forward. I know Zach puts out some some videos of him throwing from time to time. Can fans expect any of that on the social media before I let you go? Um. We'll, we'll see. I, I'm throwing a, a live bullpen tomorrow, so we'll see if I get some video and, and maybe I'll put some out. We'll, we'll see how we'll see how it goes. <laughs> that sounds good. Well, thank you, Kyle, and uh, good luck, and hopefully yeah. we'll see you on the bump soon. Yep. Thank you. I appreciate it.